when it's the choice of do I live in sunny South Africa with the threat of my child not coming home from school or do I pack my bags, go and just make a new life for myself somewhere else, it's, it's quite an obvious choice for a lot of people. It's another episode of The Commute. I'm Jessica Van Anselen. I don't know about you, fellow South Africans, but it feels like a week doesn't go by on my Facebook feed without someone else announcing they've resettled to another country. And for the first time, that isn't only white South Africans on my Facebook feed, it's all races. In everything from finance, to mining, to medicine, to the arts, to telecommunications, to academics. Hell, as many of you know, I'm one of the many South Africans who, with a heavy heart, packed my bags last year looking for better economic prospects overseas. And I know from my podcast analytics that while most of my listeners are in South Africa, a significant number of you are listening to this from the States, the UK and Europe. What's interesting to me is that with a few exceptions, a lot of these South Africans do not describe what they're doing right now as immigrating. They avoid the word immigrating. This is possibly because of stigma around the concept from the first wave of white immigration clustered in the years around the 1994 transition to democracy, which was, let's face it, often framed by those leaving in pretty white supremacist terms. Rather, this current group of people moving overseas, at least in my universe, self-describe their leaving in different ways. None of them are false or misleading, I hasten to add. These are all genuine reasons. A lot of academics are taking up posts or fellowships at foreign universities, which may not appear permanent initially. People are taking up short-term contracts in Dubai or the Middle East. A lot of my personal cohort, who are often artists and performers, say they're going to pursue career opportunities in economies with more interest in the arts. People are applying for extraordinary talent or study visas, like Reedy Klabi going off to New York, Nakane Ture, who's making music in North London, or Justice Malala, who now lives in Los Angeles. My point is that there is different language being used about getting on an airplane and going to live somewhere else now. And that's really interesting. I myself find it difficult to shoehorn my own actions into the concept of immigrating, because I go back to South Africa every few months. Immigrating also sounds defined by rejection and anger and devoid of curiosity and joy, which doesn't always fully capture the complexity of these moves. Immigrating sounds like rejecting the whole country, as opposed to rejecting a specific intolerance, which is the crack-addicted, homicidal hostage situation that is the ANC government. At any rate, anecdotes are one thing, but data is another. And therein lies the problem. There are just no good data sets for immigration, or should we say the economic migration of South Africans. This is partly because home affairs doesn't track it, and how would they anyway? People are too scared to give the state this sort of information in case they get in trouble. Some academics, like Thomas Hopley and Professor Daniel Kaplan at UCT, have suggested that you can track South African migration the other way around. You go to the countries they are going to and track them in the migration registries being held in the UK or Australia and the States. It's still a problem. There is no definitive data. So this data abyss at the heart of immigration means reality is being fiercely contested. A much-discussed analysis is a piece published in August 2019 on the Biz News website. You can click on the show notes to read it. By Azar Jamin. He's the chief economist at Joburg-based Econometrics. It certainly appears to be a very carefully researched and analyzed article with lots of sources, and in it, Jamin argues two main things. One, the level of professional qualifications carried by those South Africans immigrating 
is proportionately much higher than the average level of professional qualifications in the recipient countries. In other words, these people are highly qualified. Secondly, it appears as if the pace of immigration from South Africa has accelerated. Indeed, the UCT study concluded that during the two years, 2016 and 2017, the rate of increase had reached 30,000 people leaving a month. If true, this means very serious consequences for South Africa's skills base, but also for SARS, right? Because when your earners all bugger off to other countries, your fiscus is put under even more stress. Thanks also to government bailout number 502 for the SABC, Danel, SAA, etc. But other people say that Jameen's 30,000 people a month leaving figure was a typo, as there's no primary data to support it. Just this week, that's early October 2019 for those listening later, David Buckham, who's CEO of something called Monocle, wrote in the Daily Maverick that Jameen's figure is garbage. Buckham's points were, arguments that immigration is depleting the pool of skilled people in South Africa and subsequently eroding the tax base are largely unfounded. There's no evidence immigration is increasing more rapidly than in recent decades. And Buckham says, and I quote, the concern of losing skilled people through immigration is only one example of hysteria. You can read Buckham's article yourself and see what you make of it. But there's one institution in South Africa I am damn sure knows exactly who's left the country, and that's SARS. Because there must be South Africans who are now suddenly not earning any income inside SA and who are paying tax into other revenue services around the world. Whether SARS chooses to make public the state in the years to come or not will be interesting to see. But today's interview is not a look at formal data around immigration. It's about informal data, voluntarily self-reported by South African global migrants or immigrants. I recently came across this nifty site, wheredidwego.com, which tries to visualize self-reported data from South Africans on when they left the country and where they went to. The site animates movement from January 1980 to today, based on the information entered by South Africans who want to participate in building the data set. Go and check out wheredidwego.com and have a look. I tracked down the developer of wheredidwego.com, Bernhard Smuts, to understand what prompted him to set up this amazing website. Bernard Smuts, welcome to The Commute. Thank you. Good to be here. So like most South Africans, I imagine that you must have an immigration story, friends or family or colleagues. How has immigration touched your life? Yeah, so um, pretty much uh, both my brothers are overseas at the moment. A lot of family members are overseas. And I'd say half of my friends' Facebook or the, the friends I have on Facebook are about overseas. So you can clearly start seeing people leaving the country or having immigrated after finishing school, starting to become professional and that. My one brother lives in, in Switzerland, other brother lives in Denmark, and a bunch of friends, New Zealand, Australia, South Ach, um, in Canada, America, half of Europe, so all over, scattered everywhere. But you yourself are still in South Africa. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I'm still in South Africa. I live in Cape Town in Longabon. And for profession, I'm a pilot. And other than that, I code in my spare time. So this is actually a hobby project for me. But yeah. You, well, you say you code in your spare time, but actually you've built this quite phenomenal site. Um, where did we go? Which is the topic of today's podcast. I have a lot of questions for you about it. 
Could you talk us through a little bit? How did you come to this idea? How did you build the site? Who did you build it with? Tell us a little bit the story of how it came to be. Yeah, so a friend of mine was flying overseas now, and we were chatting, and I was I asked him it, it would have been nice to actually just see a little hop indicated where all my friends have gone because I was browsing my Facebook the one day and I just checked through my friends list and I wanted to count down who's gone overseas and that and eventually it started coming down to counting almost who stayed. <laughs> Depressing. Yeah, it would have been an interesting picture to actually draw it to see where everyone had immigrated to or just moved to. Not everyone had immigrated. A lot of people are doing like stints overseas and then will decide once they're there. But then I basically, I opened a, a library called Data Maps and I started coding it in to see the jumps. And I didn't want to manually, so it's bred out of being lazy because I didn't want to <laughs> manually code everyone's data in. So I sent it to them through a little link and they put their data in. And eventually I decided, well, let's see who else is willing to put their data in. And I posted it on Facebook and that was about two months ago. And at the moment, about... 5,385 people have put their data in. So, yeah. So, from a few friends putting in their data, it's grown quite quite big. So, we're in October 2019. So, you actually only started working on this in what, sort of July, August of this year? So, I've pretty much been building it the whole year. But the initial idea came from just asking a friend near January. And then I started building the framework. And I just pretty much touch up the framework over and over and over because it's quite complicated and I don't spend as much time as I want to on it. So I keep reiterating, reiterating it and like refining the process. But I've been really, really building it. It's been launched since 23rd of June. I think that was the date I launched it. Yeah. And it seems like interaction with the site is really picking up. Are you seeing increasing interest in the stuff you're putting on it? Oh, yeah. Last weekend, uh, an article ran in businesstech.co.za, another one in the South African, and another one in mybroadband.co.za. And those spiked the traffic incredibly, to the point where I was getting worried that my server was going to crash. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, my last weekend was spent busy, like, fighting fires and managing server calls and everything. But yeah, it's it definitely has days where I'd say you get like 64 users and then I, I think my top day is something like 14,500 people in a day. Oh, so amazing. yeah, it spikes quite nicely. What strikes me as interesting about Where Did We Go is that a lot of people wonder if this is not a space that the state should be taking an interest in. Should government be asking where are South African citizens going, for what purpose and how long will they be gone for? But I've always been struck by the fact that Home Affairs doesn't seem to formally track this information. I'm very sure that SARS, the South African Revenue Service, has a very keen idea of who is moving in and out of the country because their revenue streams are so dependent on that class. But it doesn't seem like the government is formally tracking this information. So here you are as this sort of one-man band, but you've stepped into the space to start to generate some of the data about these questions. Because I, for one, am fascinated. I've been so interested in South African economic migratory patterns, but have never been able to really find a rich data source that can shed light on who is going, when they went, what their skills profile is, etc. Yeah, that's the fascinating thing. That's what allures me to technology so much is that if you can think up something, you can create it. And with today's connected world, I can build something. And while we're talking on this podcast, you can open it on your phone. That's how connected we are right now because everyone walks around with an with a interface to the internet. And the internet is basically a central nervous system of the world now. So you can literally put something on the central nervous system of the world instantly. And that's the beauty that technology has given us. So 
where there's a lack, you can just build it. If you know how to code or you know how to develop something, you can just build it. I don't know. I'm sure the government does track this. I did email Stats SA to ask if they have these statistics. And I know the Sunday Times also did an article on the site and they asked another government branch if on the statistics or something and they just didn't get a reply. So it's just the if it's tracked, no one knows about it. And I guess nothing gets done about it or something. And yeah, I'm sure SARS finds it interesting, but yeah, I don't know what they make about it. Yes, I have less less faith than you that the government is, is actually formally tracking this sort of stuff. And I think it's so important. You said something earlier, which I also think is really fascinating about the work you're doing. So you said, oh, it was born out of laziness, asking people to self-report. But I was really struck when I engaged with the site on the power of self-reporting, because I took one look at this thing. I sort of felt, oh, okay, yes, all these South Africans are moving all over the world. I'm one of them that works differently, you know, in a different country from what I call home. And I surrendered my data. I gave information about when I left my job level oh, and my education level. And I gave you my email address. And that means that you must be sitting on one of the most rich data treasure troves because you have all the information on South Africans who have either moved or are moving. Does that make you feel powerful? I mean, and how safe is that trove, that, that trove of data? Because you are in a very powerful position. Yeah, so so at the moment, um, I don't know, people are quite apprehensive to give their email address. So I've built a filter in to filter out all the spoof email addresses because they can flood my server with a bunch of fake emails and skew the data. So I've built a few little things in there just to protect that. But as for the guy's data, I mean, at the moment, it is valuable, obviously. And people have asked me for the data sets and stuff, if they can access it or, or look at it and stuff. But I mean, if you read the privacy policy on the site, that's the one thing I do protect is the email addresses. Because, I mean, no one wants spam. And I mean, I haven't sent a single email to anyone spam related or marketing related. So I want to keep it that way. If you watch that movie, The Social Network of How Facebook Started. They want to keep the thing cool. They don't want to like make it all scummy and spammy and adverty and mm. everything. So I like the site. I like that it's clean and neat and I don't get anything out of it. I mean, the server costs I pay out of my own pocket, which when those spikes happened with the articles was worrying me a little because all the server stuff is hosted internationally. And those are dollar quotes. So it gets a bit exciting when you're Saturday afternoon, <laughs> you get a thing that your server is spiking. But other than that, I mean, the data sets are, are very useful in the sense that it connects people because, I mean, there's a lot of frameworks I'm thinking up of, of what to do further with the site. And I mean, I work on it on my own. So the changes take place quite slowly because it is a part-time activity for mm. me. Yeah, so I, there's so much I want to build into this thing. If I had a team of developers, I, I mean, this thing would be flying. But I think there's also value in working slowly <laughs> because you, you, you can analyze every step quite intensely. So, I mean, when, when I sit at work or when I drive, I can think about a little process that I want to implement. You don't just tell a developer, implement this, he works a week and then you go, oh, that's not going to work, let's take it away. So it, there is a lot of value in building it slowly. Yeah. Just to talk our listeners through what is the process that the visitor goes through on the site and do you have any insights into some of the data that's coming in? I mean, what interesting patterns or information are you seeing? Has anything surprised you? Yeah, so when you open the site, the one little scummy pop-up I do have is just a pop-up to say, if you are an expat, add your data if you like. Otherwise, enjoy the site. Take a look, play around. It is as interactive as I can make it. I mean, nothing forces you. I, I hate these sites that close themselves off in, until you access. 
I can tell you give your your email address. So mm. you get a bunch of sites that say, oh, you can't view this stuff until you give me your email address. I hate that. So I've built it that it's it's an opt-in. You can enjoy the site as much as anyone else. And then if you want to add your data, add your data. There's a little, just a little plus icon of a man or a man with a little plus next to him. There's four icons on, five icons on the site. The one is, it's pretty self-explanatory. You click on that and then it opens a little form field where it asks, were you born in South Africa? How many years did you live here? Where was your home province? I try and keep it home province because I don't want the people to be too specific on their addresses and that. Mm. Um, some people, I mean, it is information and information is supposed to stay as secure as you want, but you also have to have a bit of detail to build the site. So I don't want everyone just bleeding out of the central latitude, longitude of South Africa. So I centralize the home provinces. And then on what date did you leave South Africa? Which country did you go to? Which municipality or state or province did you go to in that country? What's the nearest major town to you? And then a few other fields just to refine it and also link to your profession. So basically the data that you source is when did you go? Where did you go? And what were you doing? Because the initial name of the site was what did we lose? Basically like what professions did we lose? Interesting. And that's the focus I'm trying to keep with. But it has evolved into a lot more. So you can start drawing statistics of which countries the most expats move to, which is clearly Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and America. Mm. Um, and then the UK and Ireland, which was actually a surprising one to me. Um, I, I built this site in a way that there's no real way you use it. It's just a lot of tools. So what you want to depict out of it, you can. You must just set your filters up the way you want to and look at it look at the data so you can do your own data analysis but i mean the basic things if if you're actually on the site and you slide to about you know by 2014 beginning 2015 you can see there's a massive spike in expats i mean you're talking up to about 120 a month on a data set of 5300 mm. so that's that's a, a big spike and then I've had a guy approach me that he's doing a PhD on South African immigration or if, is migration the, the correct word. But he's approached me and he can pull a little bit more analysis out of it. So he said he's going to take a look at it and send me a report of, of what he believes the data says, which will be quite interesting. But he's a PhD student, so he's obviously quite busy. That would be so interesting. And what's the total number of submissions you've had in the last couple of months? How many people have self-reported their data to you? So how it works is you, you add to the list and then I put your data in the database as, as a almost you can call it inactive and then i send an email just to verify that it comes from a valid email address and then um, once you've clicked on the verification link the data becomes active in the database mm. so there's 5000 i'm looking at the site now there's 5385 people that are active in the database now and there's probably about 700 that haven't verified their emails yet and i'd say there's probably about 100 or 200 accounts that are i i, I call them fake accounts it's guys who have put in legitimate data but then their email address is like no way is giving you my at email.com so <laughs> i'm not going to verify that and unfortunately those guys data won't go live because i can't i can't see if that was a, a guy who wrote a script that automatically sends in a bunch of emails or not so mm. i just leave that data dormant on the database and what's next? So you've got an interest from academia, people wanting to analyze that site. Have you had any approaches from anyone in the public sector, from government, who are looking for insights from the data you have? 
No, no one from government. There's been quite a few people who, who have asked for articles, and I think 702 Radio wanted to do a show, but they never got back to me. I don't know. They emailed me, but I replied, no reply back. And there's been a few guys with business-wise who want to track the diaspora from other countries. And they've asked me if I can change the model for other countries, which is, I mean, it's easy. I just I just changed some of the coding. So that's definitely going to grow into the site where the source is from other countries as well. I just want to get it nice and stable for South Africa before modifying it for that. That's fascinating. And what's next for the site? What do you want to build, develop, grow, change in terms of what you're asking people to report? At the moment, for the last about month, I've been working on a lot of updates. The main feature, the new update, is going to show multiple jumps. So at the moment, it just shows your initial jump or your move out of South Africa. Data-wise, it does log who has returned, but it, it doesn't show that on the map. So I want to show that on the map. I want to show the jumps after your initial country. So a lot of people will email me and say, They've moved to Australia and then afterwards they moved to England and then to Canada. Uh, but okay. that's not reflected on the site at the moment. So I'm working around the clock now to try and get it to show at least four jumps. That, that'll be the maximum for now. And then later on in the site's life, it'll, it'll show as many jumps as you want. But you have to also then protect it against people putting in their whole holiday regime every week or something. So. There's a balance between what you can have the people add and what you can't. And it's very difficult because everyone thinks different. So someone says, no, obviously, I'm just going to put if I've lived in a country for a year. But a, a person who's uh, the term digital nomad, people who just work in different countries every second week, they move to a different country. If they have to log all their journeys, then it becomes like a traveling app. almost. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that people aren't perhaps as stable as I would have imagined. So it wasn't that they lived in South Africa and then went on to build a life in Germany or Denmark. It's that they're moving to multiple locations over many years. Majority actually do stay put. I think a lot of people put a lot of thought into actually moving. A lot of the messages I've had have been that, that people don't want to leave. People don't want to leave this country. They don't want to go. Personally, my mom has dodged a bullet that hit the car. My brother's been held up at gunpoint in his offices. My little brother's been beaten up that he ended up in hospital. So, I mean, it's yeah. crime is just a part of everyone's life now in South Africa. It's it's not who you know that got stabbed. It's everyone knows someone who got stabbed or shot or something. Mm. So, when it's the choice of do I live in sunny South Africa with the threat of my child not coming home from school or do I pack my bags, go and just make a new life for myself somewhere else, it's, it's quite an obvious choice for a lot of people. But also a privilege. I've been so struck with this I'm staying movement, staying and going, being able to leave South Africa, especially if you have a second passport, is in a way a migratory privilege that is not available to everyone. And I think that that can also polarize the debate and lead to acrimony on both sides, because often people who do choose to leave, either briefly to work overseas or to build their skills and then return, or those people who close the door and say, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back to South Africa. I think that it can make people who stay behind feel that they've been rejected or that an assessment has been done and South Africa has been found to fail that assessment. And I do worry about one of the aspects of this large skills migration spike we're seeing at the moment, although there have been many historically, we're seeing a particularly big one at the moment, is that we are seeing a sort of counterforce in, in the I'm staying movement, which just shows how emotional a topic it is. It definitely is. And that occurred to me at a stage that the site could have an actual negative, almost like fear mongering type of negative yes. um, output. 
and that's the last thing I want. So I phoned a few friends and I spoke to them, uh, people whose opinions I really trust, and I spoke to them and I said, I asked them, but basically, do you think this is fear mongering or do you think it's, I compare it to, it's an engine gauge. The state of our country is the engine and this is just a gauge to show what the state of the country is or what the state of the immigration out of the country is. Obviously, the engine gauge isn't causing the engine to be bad or to break down. It's just showing you that things are breaking down and then it's up to you to decide what to do with that information. So bottom line is the site is a gauge of what's happening in the country and what you do with that information is up to you. Mm. I had a guy out of the, he moved to the Isle of Man recently this year and he told me it's been a difficult decision for him but when he saw that he's not alone basically it made the decision a bit easier for him. Interesting. Um, it's definitely not, I, I don't want to influence people's decision with the site. Well, it started with me wanting to, to see something that wasn't there. So I built it and now it's there. Now I can see it. And often you'll sit on the site and just watch the arcs fly out. And it's interesting to a sense of which countries they go to. Why would they go there? Oh, who would move to, what's this one? Who would move to Liberia from South Africa? Not that I know much about Liberia, but I know they had a massive civil war there and their economy isn't super stable. But then again, it shows you what interesting facts you can pick up from the site, um, from people moving overseas. What has surprised you most about the site, actually? I would say that a lot more people moved to Ireland than I thought. That was an interesting one for me. But I think with the sample size of the site at the moment, it's still quite small. So it could be biased to the Facebook groups that's been circulated around. Of course. So, I mean, if there's 10,000 people in Australia and they all put it on Facebook, it's going to get a lot of momentum in Australia. And then you're going to get a lot of hits from Australia. But if there's five people in Italy, they're not going to pick up on so easily on it. So the method of the data collection is still quite skewed. But I think as the sample size gets bigger, I mean, we know that no one is moving to the DRC to start a new life there and the site reflects that. And no one is moving to North Korea and the site reflects that. So so it is reflecting a rough estimate of everything. And everywhere where I've had an interview or I've written an article about it or something, I emphasize the fact that this data isn't 100% accurate. It's not statistically verified data. It's best case guesstimate data mm. so you do get a bunch of people who will comment on a facebook thread and say yeah but this is fake data and stuff oh, they're, they're not forced to look at it they can watch youtube if they want to mm. for those who want to take a look at it take a look at it and analyze the data as you see fit and decide what you want to decide out of it mm. it's just indicative rather than a substitute for verified government data it's interesting i would love yeah. to make it perfectly verified but no one's going to send me scans of their passports and their id numbers without knowing exactly who I am and what I stand for. So I decided I'm not going to go through all of that. And I mean, the people are apprehensive. There was a guy who told me, he's, he's, there's no way he's giving me his data. Who am I? And I, I jumped on a Skype call with him and I chatted to him. And we had a, like a long chat and it was interesting. And after that, he was more than willing to give me like just his general data and spread it to his friends and everything. You know, it's I always, always, always encourage people, be cautious on the internet. Be cautious with your data. The Facebook Analytica scandal that I think you talk yeah. about in one of your podcasts. I mean, that showed people will opt in, throw their data at someone and then tell them they can use it as they want. And then when they use it in a way that they didn't expect, then they're upset. But they did give the guy permission. Well, I was just so struck, as I said, when I was engaging with your site, you know, it, it was so interesting to me that I self-reported, handed over a whole lot of my data. And then when I was taking a walk this morning, I thought, 
well, actually, if this person was a bad actor, which obviously you're not, but if you were a bad actor, you hold all the information of a group of South Africans who all have something powerful in common, which is that they have temporarily or permanently migrated out of the country. And that if you did want to sell that data or do micro-targeted adverts or try to influence an election, you would be in a very powerful position. So with great power comes great responsibility, but <laughs> The data set isn't the side that I can influence an election. You never know. Oh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll eventually maybe put some advertising on the site just to cover some costs that the site incurs me because it's either that or ask people to just throw money at me, which I doubt is easy to happen. But um, but I mean that's that's all subtle, subtle. Just you know, every everyone understands that aspect. But as for selling the email list or giving it away or something, that's it's protected, it's secure. That's no intention of mine. If I could do without getting your email, by sure, I would have rather done that. The only thing is I don't want unverified data. So then it skews the, the site. And sometimes it's nice to communicate with the guys. So in the data capture form, there's a little block at the end that says, do you have a comment for the developer? And a lot of people have written some really, really cool stories in there and stuff. And it's nice to email back and forth and ask them or a lot of IT specialists have added their data to the site and then they've got lots of recommendations. Like this is what they do for a living. So they've got way more experience than me on it. And they'll they'll give me some suggestions and they'll give me some, I mean, a few people have offered to help with the work and stuff. So there's a lot of value in being able to communicate with the people. And if you don't drop an email address, I mean, you can always unsubscribe or delete your data out of the data set. That's the new new data retention rules that have come through with the Facebook scandal, mm. after the Facebook scandal, is there must always be a way for someone to delete their data. So, I mean, a few guys have sent me emails. They're just like, I'd like to remove myself from the data set, and I just delete their data, and, and we move on. You mentioned some really interesting stories. Is there anything that stands out in your mind, interesting stories people have shared with you? Yeah, so I've met some... How can you say South African influential people in the sense of I met a guy in Canada. He worked on the system for the Jamaican bobsled timing. Oh, wow. The timing during the 1988 Jamaican bobsled. <laughs> and awesome. We had, a, we had a to and fro uh, chat. It was quite interesting to see how his, his life turned out there. And there was another guy. I think he lives in Australia now. The, I don't know if you recall the advert. This was a petrol station advert where the, the baby is in a pram and he like scoots off and the grand and grandpa go, where's he going? And then in Afrikaans, she says, oh, sickeny fairny. So, so that was the guy who produced that ad. And there's a guy who wrote a book that was quite influential in South Africa that's now living in Canada and that. So there's here and there nice stories that you actually get to interact or chat with the people. That, I must say, has been one of the things that I didn't expect to happen on the site, but did, but I, I'm really thankful for, is you get to chat and you get to mingle with the people. And I'm going to put up updates on the site that actually harnesses that aspect of the storytelling. So there's a lady, she mailed me, or in the comments she also wrote, she's like, she'd love to read everyone's stories. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely coming in. So the Facebook group is Where Did We Go website. If you just search on Facebook, Where Did We Go, you'll find it. I mean, the green and black is very indicative of the site. So just search for anything that's got Lumo green and black. And then all the updates I push to Facebook. I don't want to email the guys because emails are quite private. So the big, big updates I'll send via an email or like if I need some more data or if people are willing to give more data, I'll send that through on email. But any other updates with the pictures and videos, I'll send on, on the Facebook group. It's just a bit more of a passive way of letting the people know so that they don't get hounded by my emails the whole time. One thing your site doesn't track is race, the race of those moving. But 
<laughs> but obviously being such a race-obsessed society and uh, traditionally immigration has been almost the exclusive realm of either economically or politically anxious white South Africans. But we're in an interesting space right now because for the first time in South Africa's history, according to a number of sources, the immigration of black skilled professionals for the first time in history has outstripped that of white skilled professionals. So we are starting to see black South Africans leaving the country to seek greener economic or experiential paths. But you decided not to capture race, and I imagine you probably have good reasons for that. Yeah, so in the new form that I'm designing, it will capture race and gender specifically, and it'll also capture a bit more details, like I said, multiple jumps, multiple reasons for leaving the country, or or just being outside the country. So it is a very big factor, I mean, the, the whole race aspect. What it says about it, it's... It'll be, like I say, it'll be for anyone who looks at the site to decide. I mean, I'm not going to make any assumptions on it or anything. But I, I have also heard the same thing, that, that it's not just white people leaving the country anymore, which is quite interesting. But yeah, it is a definitely a, a sensitive topic. And I initially started the questionnaire because I sent it to a few friends. So I didn't need that data from them. But as it got to people who I don't know that data would have been interesting to capture. So that's sure. why I'm bringing it in now. You, you're an entrepreneur. You're someone who's interested in coding. You've built this amazing website in your spare time. Are, are there any resources that you want to share with our listeners, podcasts or books or websites or um, individuals who are doing interesting work in the space that you think it would be interesting for them to go and find to learn more? So podcasts developer-wise, I, I really enjoy Syntax FM, which is a web development podcast. That's where I get my touch with the web development world because I'm not, I'm not a professional web developer. So I don't have a community of people I link up with. So that's my touch into the web development world. I also enjoy another podcast called Indie Hackers, which talks about basically digital startups and digital companies and stuff because the, the world is moving so digital now that it's, it's a whole other world we've designed for ourselves now that's on the internet. And it's just exploding. And the more it explodes, the more options and opportunities there are for it. So it's, it's interesting to see what businesses and what opportunities are out there with the digital world. Absolutely. And would you ever do this full time, Bernard? Do you think you, you could become the next Mark Zuckerberg? I'd like his money, but not his responsibility. I, I don't know. I, I enjoy it. Um, there are days when I just go, I don't want to see a line of code ever. But I think anything you do too much becomes too much. I think it's it's a nice split now where it's not my professional job and I'm not doing it under pressure of someone. I think I don't know if I would ever want to do this for someone professionally where I have to work on things that aren't important yeah. to me. So if it was building my own stuff, I could definitely see myself doing that a bit more full time, building on my own projects and that. So yeah, time will tell. At the moment, I still have a permanent job. Still a side hustle. Yeah, still a side hustle. That's all right. <laughs> We're all going to have our side hustles. Bernhard Smuts, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to leave you to run out. Well, you say there's no sunshine in Langebaan today, but you can run out into the gorgeous beauty of the Western Cape. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to the commute. Thanks so much, Jess. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can always access our library of past episodes at www.thecommute.co.za and if you have any feedback or ideas or topics that you feel you would like an explainer on please feel free to email me at thecommutesa at gmail.com or you can tweet me at big ideas podcast and if you enjoyed today's episode please tell a friend you can find the commute on apple podcasts and hopefully most other podcast platforms too see you next time